uh, out of the book of Ephesians that we're calling uh, God's love letter, and I'm pretty stoked about it. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna be here till Easter, and we're we'll we'll close this thing out at Easter with a great weekend, a great celebration. I can't think of a better series to take us into Easter than a series that talks about God's love for us, and it just comes to the culmination not at the cross but at the empty tomb. And so uh, I, I think the better we understand that and prepare our hearts and prepare ourselves for uh, that that's coming, that God just wants to do something special. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Uh, if you want to be turning there in your Bibles, it's in the New Testament. Uh, it's a letter uh, that uh, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Uh, shared with you a little bit about that city uh, when we began the series. I've been sharing with you that the book of Ephesians is often referred to by scholars and theologians as God's love letter to the church. Uh, a lot of people have referred to it as that. Uh, and it's been my prayer that through this series that you'll have a better understanding why it's called God's love letter to the church. But my prayer has been that every single one of you will not just recognize it and see it as God's love letter to the church, but you will see it as God's love letter written personally to you. Because I believe if you'll take it personally and make it personal, uh, it'll make a huge impact on your life and how you see your relationship uh, with Jesus. Uh, we've seen over the past few weeks, uh, in week number one of the series, we talked about the fact that God loves you so much that he chose you. Now, I don't know all of you, but I know me, and to think that God would choose me just blows my mind. And not only the fact that he chose us, but his word says that he chose us even before uh, the beginning of creation, even before the creation of the heavens and the earth. It says he chose you, he predestined you. And it was pretty deep theological stuff that we got into in, in week one. Uh, but but the, just to, to know that, that God chose us is, is something very special. Last week we saw that God loves us so much that he wants to open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see his his love, we can feel his love, we can experience his love, because we almost saw Paul, when he's writing in this letter there in chapter one, he began this theological discussion about predestination and being chosen before the, you know, the beginning of the world, and, and it's almost like Paul sitting here, he's preaching to the church, and he looks out across the church, and he goes, they're not getting this. This is too deep. And so he, he just kind of takes a pause right there and he begins to pray uh, in the middle of this letter that he's written to the church. God, I understand they, they, they don't get this and they're not going to get it unless you open the eyes of their heart and allow them to see it to feel it and to experience it. It's not just about knowledge. The knowledge, the, the knowledge don't amount to anything if we don't accept it and know it and realize it and feel it uh, in our hearts and our lives. And so that's where we see Paul go uh, with this letter. And so now today, this section of, of the letter that we're going to look at uh, is what some scholars say, say is one of the most important passages in all the Bible. Okay, uh, that we're going to be looking at. And in this passage, we're going to clearly see the good news message of God's love. All right. We talk about the gospel a lot around the church. I talked to a young lady not long ago and she was talking about a church she was going to. And, and, and she shared with me, she said, you know, the preacher sometimes uses words and, and tells stories that I don't know what they mean. 
I, you know, I wasn't raised in church. I, I don't know what a lot of these words mean, so we just don't want to take for granted. You know what the gospel is. The gospel is simply this. The word gospel means good news. What's the good news? Jesus. All right, and so Paul is going to start building this case uh, this morning. Uh, uh, we're going to see here uh, about the gospel, about this good news. And here in, in the first part uh, of this chapter, we're going to see Paul introduce a word to us. He's going to introduce a, a word that, that Christians use a lot to describe their relationship with Jesus. Uh, and it's a word that I believe sometimes confuses people. Uh, it confuses, so we have to be careful about it because I believe people outside the church and people that don't know about Jesus, they don't understand our jargon. They don't understand our language. And I believe this is a word sometimes that confuses people uh, that, that aren't part of the church. But the word that Paul introduces us to here in this passage today is the word saved. The word saved. And the reason that I believe that Paul uh, uses this word here in this love letter from God is because there is probably no better word in any language on this world, in this world that describes any better <laughs> than what takes place and what happens when we choose to follow Jesus Christ. All right, it defines clearly for us, I believe, the helpless state that, that we were in that Jesus came and rescued us out of. I believe it describes it perfectly, and, and the reason I believe that is is because that's how Paul described it, and it's the best way that, that he could. And we see Paul here, he begins the, you know, his explanation of this good news. He begins this explanation uh, of the gospel, and, and we see him explain to us what made Jesus' uh, rescue operation uh, so necessary to, to happen and take place and why it had to happen. And, and in doing that, we see him, uh, we, it's almost like he's clarifying some of our thoughts. He's clarifying for us maybe some of the things that we think, uh, especially church people, uh, about uh, evil in our world and where it comes from and what causes it and all these things. But one of these myths that I, I think uh, people all across the world get caught up with is, is the fact that evil in our world is caused by people, all right? Evil in our world is caused by other people. And, and we may go, oh, well, no, not really. But, but if you think about it, we often are leery of them, right? We're, we're, often, we're often leery of other people. A lot of people believe that there is reason uh, that there is evil in this world uh, is because of other people, right? So what do we do? We put locks on our doors, to keep them out, right? We put video cameras in the church so we can keep an eye on them, right? We put video cameras in our homes now. Some of you even have a doorbell that when somebody walks up to your doorbell, it rings your phone and you see them and that's all just crazy. But it's necessary because we want to watch, right? We want to watch who? We want to watch them, right? Because they may be coming or they, they, they are coming and, and we build jails, to house them, those people. And, and uh, you know, a lot of people think that the problems in our world are caused by people who uh, aren't like us. We are, uh, we're, we're sometimes, uh, 
I don't know, more, I, I can't think of the word, so I probably shouldn't even be preaching about this right now. Um, you know, we're more concerned about the way these type of people look, that, that, you know, we better be leery of them because they're different from us. They don't look like us or, or sound like us. Uh, you know, uh, interesting thing in our nation today, especially in the United States, is uh, when you start thinking about those people, uh, you know, conservatives. I'm going to get political here just for a second, and I hardly ever do that, but conservatives think that liberals are the problem with our world today, right? Don't, it, right now is not a good time to amen because I'm covering both sides. Whether you're a liberal or, or a conservative right now, just shut up all right, and listen. <laughs> All right, because conservatives think that liberals are the problem. And they'll point to the liberals and they'll say things like, you know, it's the liberals that are destroying our family values. And it's the liberals that are basically the cancer to the backbone of our society today and our churches today and the things that, are, 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 you know, our churches are stand, stand for. It's those stinking liberals, liberals, it's those stinking liberals, I believe, that are removing gluten from everything that we're trying to eat these days. And it's all, the liberals are behind all that, right? And so those people, it's the liberals' fault. When, you know, seriously, what's interesting about that is, is you talk to a liberal and what will they say? The liberals don't care for the conservatives because it's all their fault. Right? You talk to a liberal, and a liberal will be real liberal to tell you that the conservatives are a bunch of idiots. They're closed-minded, right? The, the, the conservatives are, are, are bigots. The conservative people are filled with pride. Conservative people don't recycle, you know? And, and it's, that's what's wrong with our world today is the conservatives won't recycle. And so you, you got to, you know... You see what's going on here? It's always those people, and we're pointing and, and, and trying to figure out whose fault it is and all that. And, and what we're going to see here is this, is Paul's going to blow all that up for you this morning, all right? He, he's going to blow all that out of the water, all these myths. He's going he's to resolve right here, and he does it in the very first sentence, the very first verse of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And I want you to look at what he says here. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. The first thing you need to notice here today is that word, you. It was you. Oh my word, it's, it's not them? No, Paul said, it's, it's you. It's you. you. You were dead in your transgressions. It was you that was evil. It was you that, that was dead in sin, not other people. Don't miss this. It's you. There's only one category of people, Paul says. Sinner. One category. Sinner. And sin is this fatal disease that exists at the heart of every human being. Okay? Every, every human since the fall of man. And Paul says because of that, you are dead. You are dead. And, and so the problem is not other people. 
The problem has never been other people. The problem is not that we were all uh, created good people that just kind of lost our way, right? We just, we, we're all, you know, by nature good and we just kind of all, you know, got off track. No, the problem is that we are dead. The problem is that we are spiritually dead. And, and I think part of the problem today is how we think of sin. I, I mean, because today a lot of the times we think of sin as an action, right? Sin is something that, that, that we do. It's a bad action that we do, like stealing or, or, or lying or, or committing adultery. But this word dead, uh, this word dead shows us that sin is not so much an action as it is a condition that we're in. Okay, think about it. Our bad actions are symptoms of our dead condition. See what I'm saying? Our, our sinful actions, are, our, our bad actions are just symptoms of our condition. This might be more relevant for a lot of you that are here today. How many of you uh, that are here today have had this, this bad flu that's been going around this winter? Just raise your hand. How many of you had it? My goodness, a lot of you. How many of you have it right now? Leave, <laughs> leave, leave, leave. <clears throat> we want everybody here but you. <laughs> But, but think about it like this. You didn't have the flu because you were coughing, right? You didn't have the flu because you were sneezing or, or running a, a, a fever. You cough and you sneeze and you run fever because you've got the flu. Are you following me? Uh, you know, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners, are you with me? And I've shared this before, but this is so apparent when you have children. Uh, every parent sees this in their kids. They, they see this nature in their kids. You, you know, you set something in front of them that they don't like. You, you, you know, you put a bowl of food in front of them and it's something that they don't want or they don't like. And when they're toddlers, you turn your back and what do they do? They dump it out, Right. They dump it out. They may even dump it in the floor. Did they learn that from you? Huh? I mean, how many times has your wife set a bowl of green peas in front of you and you said, I hate green peas, and I took them and dumped them out in the floor, right? Have you ever done that? I mean, your kids did not learn that behavior from you, hopefully, right? I mean, you look at a two-year-old that's got a toy, and you go try to take that away from that two-year-old, and what do they do? Oh, they pitch a ever-living fit, right? Mine, mine, mine. You can't have it, it's mine. Where'd they learn that? Well, some of them learned it from their daddy and his remote control. I mean, that's how some of you men act when, when they try to take your remote control away. But hopefully that was not a, a you know, uh, that wasn't a learned behavior that your two-year-old picked up. It didn't come, you know, from their in, environment. And, and, you know, it, it's just part of their nature. And that's, because all of us, Paul says, we're, we all fall into this same category and we're dead. We're spiritually dead. And, and we talked about this a few weeks ago uh, in one of the other messages to, to this uh, series. But, you know, when you're dead, you're, you're dead. There, there's no life. There's no pulse. There's no heartbeat. There's no, you know, breathing. When you're dead, you're dead. 
I, I saw this uh, uh, study that was done by the University of Arkansas. There are some, some extremely intelligent people that, that go to school up there at the University of Arkansas, and I wasn't one of them. You can obviously tell that. But anyway, they, they did this study that I thought was so fascinating, and, and it said this. This was results after years and years of studies that they did. It says, studies show that 100% of people who die are dead. Millions of dollars researching this, and they found it to be true that 100% of people that die are, are dead. And, and listen, seriously, that's what Paul's saying about you. You're dead. <laughs> There's no pulse. There's no breathing. You were spiritually dead. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning for this uplifting and encouraging message, you know, that I got from Joel Osteen? Uh, but wait. <laughs> But wait, there's more, okay? And it's, it gets worse. It gets worse, so we're going to fly right through it, and uh, don't leave me yet, all right? Now Paul proceeds in the next verse to explain to us what dead looks like in verse number two. Uh, he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Now, I believe some people read over that and they just skip over it because they don't really understand it, don't really know what Paul's talking about here. But can I just tell you that the prince of the power of the air that he's referring to is not Jesus Christ, Amen. nor is it God. The prince of the power of the air is referred to in Scripture as the enemy, Satan himself. This is a reference to Satan. And Paul says, don't miss this, Paul says that you were followers of Satan. It's what he says. It, and, and don't miss this because at the core of Satan's rebellion, I want you to think about what it was. It was his self-centeredness. It was his selfishness. It was always about I. I will do this and I will do that. And, and, and we see it in, in uh, the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah writes about it uh, in chapter 14, uh, verses 13 and 14, where Satan says this uh, uh, himself in Scripture. He says, I will ascend to the heavens. He says, I will raise my throne on high. He says, I will sit enthroned. He says, I will ascend above the clouds. And, and then his fifth I will statement was, I will make myself like the most high. Do you see the I problem here? Amen. Do you see it? And, and, and don't miss this. It's at the center of sin. I, 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 I. And when you and I joined Satan in that rebellion, and we did, Paul's saying we were a part of that. And when you and I joined him in that rebellion uh, and this way of thinking, Paul says his, it was his spirit that began to shape you and it was his spirit that began to lead you. All right, he's not sugarcoating nothing now, is he? Huh? And he goes on to say that that spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And so Paul says that, that other things, when we were in this state, when we were dead, then other things became our master other than God. 
All right, that's what he's saying here. We obeyed the impulses of our body. We obeyed the impulses of our minds. See, our bodies say have sex. Our bodies say get drunk. Our bodies say get high. Our bodies say get angry, and we do it, right? That's being under the control of the body. Our, our minds say make your own decisions. Our mind says it's all about me. Do things your own way. And so we obey. Because though that's our master. And Paul says here, And we were by nature children of wrath, just like all the rest of mankind. Every single one. Well, you know, you read this and you look at this and you think, Man, Paul must be having a bad day. You know? It's a little harsh. It, you know, surely he's exaggerating. I mean, we've all made mistakes, right? I mean, none of us are, are perfect, but, but Paul, dead? You know, followers of Satan? His sons of disobedience? Children of wrath? I mean, that, that's, that's pretty strong. To say that's who we were, that's who we are. But here's the deal. Just because you may not done, may not have done some things. How, how am I going to put this? <laughs> Just because you may not have done some things as evil as some of those people down there at Tucker. Which, by the way, is a prison, if you don't know what Tucker is. Just because you may not have done some of the things that they have done that are that evil. Doesn't mean that it is not present in you. All right, the capacity to do evil is in all of us. That's what Paul's saying here. Okay, and, 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 but for some of us, you know, conditions may have kept some of that from coming to fruition. You know, various, various things may have kept us from going down that path or whatever it may be. And, and you may disagree with me, and that's well and fine if you do. But, but based on what Paul is saying here, the same deadness, the same evil that was in the heart of that school shooter that took those 17 lives in Florida a few weeks ago, that same evil, that same deadness, that same sin was in my heart as well. It's in your heart as well. That's what Paul's saying to us. We were all in this condition. There's one condition, sinner. One condition, dead, right? We were sinners. And before we go to verse 4, I think we just need to stop here a minute, take a deep breath, and let this sink in. What Paul is trying to explain to us here is this. You and I, we deserve the wrath of God. That's what we deserve. We deserve God's wrath. We, we really are dead, right? In our sins, we really were the enemy. And, you know, we deserve we deserve the punishment of hell. That's what we deserve. Oh, he said that word in church. Heaven forbid. Let me tell you something. Hell is a terrible place that you will go if you don't know Jesus as your Savior. That's not popular preaching. And a lot of preachers don't talk about it anymore and, and won't say it. But I'll tell you this. Jesus talked about it. And Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven in the Scriptures. Now, uh, you know, and so Paul starts here. He, he starts out with this brutal statement of who you are. Well, why, why does he do that? Why is he so harsh? Why is he so hard on us today? Listen, it's because he wants you to truly understand just how 
awesome this good news is. He wants you to, he wants you to get it. He wants you to understand the gospel. He, he wants you to be able to understand and comprehend the depths of the love that God had for you because you weren't worth a flip before God, right? He wants you to get that. He wants you to see that. And so we need, you know, he's like, you need to understand exactly what this is and what it was that you were saved from. It's important that you understand what it was that you were, you were saved from. Because I think a lot of the time, especially in church today, you know, we just want to jump to the good news without ever considering the bad. We, we just want to talk about the stuff that makes us happy and makes us feel good. Because if we talk about the bad stuff in church, then we, uh, we uh, offend people, we make people uncomfortable, and then they won't come back, right? And so we, we don't want to do that. And so we just want to go straight to the good stuff. Not Paul. Uh-uh. No, Paul's giving us a great example here. You got to understand where you've been before you understand where you're going, right? Uh, and, and so, you know, we can't just jump straight to the good news without considering the bad news. We can't just jump to the part about Jesus and not dwell on the condition of our lives that we were dead. You know, Jesus was resurrected because we needed to be resurrected. Do you get that? That was for you. You were resurrected because he was resurrected. And so we can't just skip to the part about Jesus and the empty tomb without dwelling on the state that we were in, dead. And, and so, uh, you know, if, and here's another reason we need to understand it. And I'll use this analogy. Uh, let's, let's think about you going to a doctor. You have a sickness and you go to a doctor and you go to the doctor. And he misdiagnoses what is wrong with you. All right, if he misdiagnoses what is wrong with you, then what's going to take place? He's going to give you the wrong cure for what you've got, right? And, and so, uh, you know, if you don't understand the problem of your sin, then you're never going to embrace the cure that will fix it, right? We'll never uh, embrace that cure. We, we all want the cure. I don't think there's anybody here this morning that would say, I don't want the cure, Right? Uh, we all want the cure. We all want the answer. But so often we don't want to talk about the problem. Well, Paul's throwing this right in our face today and saying, talk about it. Here it is, right? And, and here's the deal. Believing the Christian gospel is not always easy. Believing this good news of Jesus is not always convenient. It's not always comfortable, right? It doesn't always make us feel good because here's the deal being a follower of Jesus being being a, a person who lives their life based off this gospel that Paul is talking about he, you know here's the deal it demands that you do things you don't want to do it demands that you do things that make you uncomfortable the gospel message demands that you do things with your money that you don't want to do with your money the gospel message demands that you do things with your money that you don't think you can do with your money, right? The gospel message demands that you reach out to people. Hello? The gospel message demands that you reach out to people and not just people that look like you and make you comfortable, but the gospel demands that you reach out to people who make you uncomfortable. If you don't, understand the necessity if you don't understand how necessary it is then you're going to always view it as a burden 
to you. Think of it like this. How many, just curious, how many of you here today have ever uh, parachuted out of an airplane? Just raise your hand. How many of you? Some of you have? There's Tim Snow. I just saw you. We were praying for you. Did you walk in after we prayed? You were here? God answers prayer like that. You didn't raise your hand. You never had a parachute on? Raise those hands again. You parachute people. How many of you? Absolute crazy people right there. But they'll tell you that a parachute was, wasn't really designed for comfort. You know, that, that's not the purpose of a parachute. It's not like this little bitty backpack like we send our, our kids to school with. They're, they're, they're just not comfortable. But think about it like this. Let's say uh, before you get on your next flight, uh, you know, to Cancun or wherever it is y'all go and stay all summer, I don't know, uh, on vacation. But, but let's say before you get on your next flight that uh, when you're getting on the plane, they hand you a parachute to put on, Okay. And it's this big bulky thing and you're like, hey bro, I'm in coach. Have you seen those chairs in coach? I mean, you're all wadded up like this. There's hardly room for you and an iPad, let alone you and an iPad and a parachute, right? And, and you know, if I put this on, this is gonna be an absolutely miserable flight, right? It's gonna be uh, inconvenient. But imagine that before you got on this plane, they handed you the parachute and they said, you know, this, this plane is not gonna reach its final destination. This plane's going to crash about halfway through. We're going down, okay? Now, does that change your perspective of your parachute? Huh? Does it change how you feel about your parachute? Are you just going to lay it aside or put it in the overhead bin and say, well, you know, I'll just leave it there just in case. No, what are you going to do? You're going to put that sucker on. You're going to be glad you got it. You're going to be hugging it. You're going to be glad you got it. Not only that, but you're going to be encouraging everyone else around you that's traveling with you on that journey to put theirs on too. Because you're going to want to save their life. You understand just how important that parachute is going to be. Now, here's the problem with that. A lot of people in this world today think like this. They think, you know what? I'll put the parachute on right before I need it. You don't know when the plane's going down. But a lot of people in their mind, they think, oh, I'll need that parachute when I'm about 75, 80, 85. But you don't know when the door is going to open. It's just going to suck you right out in an instant. See what I'm saying? That's, that's, that's the gospel. The parachute is the gospel. It will save your life. It's not always going to be comfortable it's not always going to be convenient, but when you understand that it will save your life, you'll be living under it, and not only will you be living under it and with it and walking on this journey, you know, with other people that are, you know, have this life-saving thing as well, you're going to tell everybody else that you're on the journey with how important it is and how desperately bad that they need it. And until you understand, Paul knows, until you understand the problem, and what it is that you have been saved from, you will never appreciate your parachute. <laughs> you will never appreciate his grace in your life and his forgiveness. The, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon uh, put it like this. He said, the reason we think too lightly of the Savior is because we think too lightly of sin. 
Only he who has stood before his God, feeling the rope of God's judgment about his neck, will be the man who will weep for joy when he is pardoned, to hate the evil which has been forgiven him. Someone who truly understands, <laughs> that, that, that gets it. So, so hear this, hear what Paul is saying here. You were dead in sin. You by nature were a follower of Satan, he says. And listen, you won't hear this from Oprah, Dr. Phil, or Dr. Oz, but Paul says that's what is true. And this is why you need to be saved. All right? Uh, that, that's why being saved is important. There's no better word to describe it because, you know what? I didn't need to be improved, I, I didn't need to be edited, I, I didn't need to be updated or, or enhanced. What did I need? I needed to be forgiven. I needed to be restored. I needed to be redeemed. I needed to be resurrected. I needed to be saved, right? I didn't need a Jesus who would come along and be my life coach and help me go through this process of, of turning over a, a new leaf in my life. I didn't need that. I needed a resurrected Savior who could give me life because I was dead, dead, and I needed life, and he was the only way I could get it. In verses 1 through 3, there's a lot of bad news. It's not rosy stuff. It's not something, you know, that we, we want to read three times a day like we did that Psalms a while back. And you know what? Here's the deal. There's some bad stuff. And, and honestly, it could have stopped right there. God would have been so right to just say, done with them. Right? He, he, would, he would have been, you know, right in, in letting it stop right there. Because we were his enemy. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on in, in verse 4. And verse 4 contains probably the most powerful two words that ever were spoken in the history of the world. But God. <laughs> he tells you the state that you're in. He tells you how pitiful you were. What a mess you were in. That you were dead. He says, but God. Let the force of that hit you for just a minute. Right? You were helpless. But God. Listen, you were helpless, but you were not hopeless. <laughs> and because of that hope that we talked about last week that, that came uh, from another place, when you were dead in your sin, I want, you to, I want you to get this now. I want you to picture this. When you were dead, when you were dead in your sin, what did God do? He didn't turn his back on you. He rolled up his sleeves to get down here in the grave with us, to get down in this, this mess with us, and he went to work, right? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Do you see this love story? Do you see this love letter that he's written to you? And, and I just want to stop there a second and, and say that, you know, a, a lot of theo, theologians and Christians, I believe today, talk about salvation in, in a way that it's almost like it's a formula or something. You know, they, they talk about it, you know, so, so cold and, and mechanically. Can I just tell you, it's not a formula, all right? It, it's not a formula. It, it, was, it was love that drew salvation's plan. Did you get that? It was love that, that, that made the plan for salvation and for resurrection. I heard this, this story, and I may have shared it before, uh, but uh, there was a little girl who had a, a very serious illness. 
And uh, she was in the hospital and, and they, they found out through this illness that she was going to have to have a blood transfusion. And so she had a bigger brother. She had a brother that was older than her. And they found that her and her brother had the same blood type. And the doctor said, you know, if we could do this transfusion from brother to sister, you know, that'd be the, the best case scenario uh, to give her this transfusion. And so what they did is they, they, they went to the brother and they asked him, they said, you know, would you be willing uh, to give a blood transfusion to your sister? Because she needs it. It may be the only thing. That will keep her alive. It may be the only thing that will save her life. And said the brother, he sat there and he thought about it for a little bit. And he said, I'll do it. I'll do it. And so they, they brought him in and, and they put the IV in the brother's arm. And they were getting everything ready. And as the blood began to flow out of that IV, uh, they said he, he became ghostly white. And he looked over and said, Mom, when will it happen? And she said, when will what happen? And he said, when am I going to die? She said, son, you're not going to die. They're not taking all your blood. They're not giving your sister all your blood. They're just going to take a little of it and put it into her body. And that's going to be good enough to save her life and to be the cure. This little boy thought that he was about to give his life. For his little sister, and he was willing to do it. That kind of love is rare. But I want you to think about it. That is exactly what God did for you. And you weren't his little sister. Paul's saying you were his enemy. You were a follower of Satan. But yet God out of his great love, was willing to do that for you. And it wasn't just love, Paul said, but it was mercy. And that's a mercy that probably none of us would have shown mankind if we would have been in charge. You know, it's easy to say, oh, if I was God, I would be gracious and just everybody would go to heaven. No, you wouldn't. Not if mankind was your enemy. We'd been like Martin Luther. I, I love, he said this once. He said, if I was God and the world treated me the way it has treated him, he said, I would have kicked the vile, wretched thing to pieces. <laughs> Honestly, that's probably what we would have done. But God. I heard someone say one time, until the gospel seems too good to be true to you, you haven't really got it. You haven't really understood it. But God. The greatest words in all the Bible, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And verse 5 says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Don't miss this because I'm going to preach on this next week. Paul's going to go on to explain this to us what all this looks like. But he, he makes this connection that we are with Jesus. We're connected to Jesus. We're with Jesus. Where is Jesus at? Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. It's good stuff next week. Don't miss this. Made us alive together with Christ. And it is by His grace that you were saved. Here's what I love about this. It's past tense. <laughs> Look at it. It's in past tense because Paul is referring to the fact 
This is already done. It's already been taken care of. Jesus has already been to the cross. He's already been to the grave. And it's finished. You see, Paul's not talking about this process of us somehow getting better. He's not talking about some religious process of us gradually coming alive where we slowly become a good, God-fearing person. Right? He's talking about something that Jesus did for you all at once In, in the past. On the cross, he became our sin. And think about it. Jesus, the only person to walk this earth and to live a perfect life with no sin. The only one to, who, who ever lived a perfect life. Think about this. He died a sinner's death. He died a, a sinner's death. Think about it. He, he was treated by God as if he were he was us. See what I'm saying? He, he was treated like we should have been treated. And Paul says, oh, by the way, you were the enemy. You were a follower of Satan. The spirit of Satan was controlling your life. And Jesus went to a cross like a son of disobedience as if he was a follower of Satan, as if he was a child of wrath, and he bore your sin and took your place. He took my place. (laughs) He, He lived the life that we were supposed to live, and then he experienced the death that we were condemned to die. And Jesus didn't merely die for you. You gotta get this. He died instead of you. He didn't just die for you. He died instead of you. And until you fully understand that, until you get that, you have never really fully understood how much God loves you and what he reached down and saved you from. You don't get it. You don't get it. Would you bow your heads with me this morning and, and close your eyes today? And, and this morning, for those of you that are here that are Christians and you've accepted Christ and you're living by faith and you're walking uh, with Him, I hope today has just been an encouragement to you. I, I hope today has, has given you a better understanding today of just how much God loves you and what He's done for you. But I would also say to you that being a follower of Jesus is not comfortable. And if you found yourself in a comfortable place as a follower of Jesus, maybe you've got some heart inventory that you need to take. Because following Jesus is not comfortable. It's not always easy and it's not always convenient. But once you've been saved, once you truly understand what it is that he saved you from, you'll gladly do it. You'll gladly follow him and do what he's asked of you. And I believe there's some here today that aren't saved. I believe there's some here today that maybe had an experience at some point in time and 
but they never really were saved. They never really committed to a relationship with Jesus. Listen, you can be. You can be. You can be saved from all of your sin and death today. If you've never been saved, then you're literally dead. That's what Paul's saying. If you're not saved, you're dead. There's not an ounce of life in you, and there never will be for all of eternity until you accept Christ. You're dead, and you eventually are going to end up in a terrible place that is called hell. And I'm not trying to scare you today. I'm just telling you the plane is not going to reach its final destination till you have your parachute. I'm just trying to get you to understand today just how important this is to you, but it's your decision, and you can choose life or you can choose death. And he leaves that totally up to you. And I know that today he's drawing you to life. He's putting you a hunger to know him. He's putting you a hunger to have a relationship with him. But all you have to do today is say yes. I want that. I commit to that. Say yes to forgiveness and submit to him and follow him. Let him be Lord of your life and let him save you right now and resurrect you from death to life forever. And if that's you here today, this isn't the first time you felt this. And he's been drawing you and he's been speaking to you and today he's just kind of brought it all to a head. And he says, today, today, today is the day you're gonna make a decision. Will you choose death or will you choose me and choose life? If you're here today and you've never accepted him, you've never been saved and you want to do that today I'm just asking you right now just raise your hand just raise your hand right now if that's you and you want to accept Christ today and be saved from your sin is there anyone just raise your hand God we love you so much and I thank you so much for your love I thank you for loving us enough that even when we were the enemy, even when we were being led by the spirit of Satan, when we were allowing our bodies and our minds to be the masters of our lives, you died for us anyway. You went to a cross and you took our place. You shed your blood so that we wouldn't have to. You gave your life so that we could have life. And God, I, I thank you for this reminder. And yeah, Paul, man, he, he tells it like it is here at the beginning of this today. But God, it, it's important that we understand what it was that we were saved from. And I thank you for reminding us of that today. And if there be anyone here today that has never accepted you, never committed their life to you. I pray that today, before they go to sleep tonight, I pray that they would give their life to you, that you would forgive them of their sin and give them life, eternal life, where we can all spend eternity in heaven with you. And, and God, I pray that if they're not saved, when they lay their head on their pillow tonight, that you'll just put a picture in their mind of that plane going down, and we never know when it's gonna be. But God, we need you. We need what you've done for us on the cross of Calvary. We need that empty tomb. 
thank you so much for loving us enough to do that and make that provision and do that for us. God, I pray that you will always find us faithful in what you've called us to do as the church and as followers of Jesus. And when it gets uneasy, when it gets uncomfortable, when it gets inconvenient, I pray that we'll just remember what you've done for us and what you've saved us from and then give us the strength to carry on. We love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.